I failed because I was trying to solve a problem that everybody had, but nobody realized that they had. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, trying to solve a problem that people don't know they have isn't useful mm -hmm. or it isn't a good business model because people have to know that they have a problem and want to have it solved. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Hello, this is Yaro, and welcome to an interview with a person who I'm so excited to share with you because she represents a success story of following the model that I've been teaching now for over a decade of using a blog, growing an email list, and then selling your own digital information product. My guest today is Tian Chu, who is in fact one of my students. She's in both my main programs. She took my Blog Mastermind 2.0 course, and she's an active member inside the laptop Lifestyle Academy. What I love about her story is her niche. She focuses on color weaving. Now, I didn't know what that was until I met Tian, and I'll let you hear her explain exactly what her topic is and how she got into it and how it can turn into a business. It's all talked about inside this interview. And I really recommend you stay tuned to the section where we spend quite a bit of time dissecting Tian's latest, or should I say her first ever launch campaign for an online course on color weaving. She set a goal to make $20,000 from that launch and managed to blast past it, ending with over $25,000 in sales from her first online course, selling to a nice small niche audience of about 3,000 email subscribers. So we dive in and talk about what were the emails she sent for that campaign, what technology she uses to grow her audience and deliver that course, and all the bits and pieces that go together to make a successful first launch campaign. Once again, I'm so excited to share this with you because it demonstrates the system still works. It's 2019 and the Blog Mastermind Method is still going strong. I'd like to introduce you now to Tian. Here you go. Hello, this is Yarrow, and today I have a guest who really I've been hoping to interview for, I'd say it's almost years now. Uh, and I say this because I love to get case studies from people inside uh, my community, my world, people who are following the sort of model of teaching their knowledge online. And I'm especially excited today because this is a, I guess, a, a brand new 2019 case study, although we're going to talk about something that happened at the end of 2018. This is a story from someone who's very much doing their business today. So we're not talking about 10 years ago. This is someone who's actively growing a teaching business right in the current environment in a very interesting niche too. So I'd like to say hello and welcome my guest today. Hello, Tian Chu. Hi, Yaro. So Tian, thank you for joining me. Now Tian uh, runs the website warpandweave.com. Now if you heard that name and it means nothing to you, that may not be surprising. This is a very specialized niche. So Tian, maybe you can introduce us to exactly what you do teach. I teach about weaving, hand weaving, making cloth, and particularly about color in weaving. So designing with color in hand weaving. It's a very small niche. I would say that I don't know how many weavers there are, but the biggest weaving magazine has a circulation of maybe about 50,000 people. And so for a long time, people were concerned that weaving was dying out. And recently, it's been experiencing a resurgence. But so that's a small niche. And then if you think about color in weaving, that's an even smaller niche. 
How did you get into this area? Have you always been artistic? I actually trained as a mathematician, and both of my parents are scientists. I didn't think of myself as being an artist at all. I graduated, I went into high tech, and I was a project manager for 20 years. And then I had a hobby of knitting and spinning and you know, later weaving. And I never thought that it would become a career for me until I did my wedding dress. And it was such a beautiful piece. It's now in a museum. And I thought, wow, this is really beautiful. This is, might be something I would want to do for a living. But I never thought that I actually could because, you know, as you know, making a living by doing art or doing craft is almost impossible. And until I ran across your blog mastermind program, I had no idea how I could actually do that and pay a Silicon Valley mortgage. Mm. I didn't realize your wedding dress was your first ever piece. Uh, talk oh, about no, it wasn't my first ever piece, oh, but it okay. was the first piece that I had made. I actually had only been weaving for about two and a half years when I started it. So I hadn't actually been weaving very long. And it was a very ambitious piece. It took me a year to complete. And I made so many mistakes along the way. But when I finished, it was a real masterpiece. You can see it on my website, tianchu.com. I assume you can link that in the yeah. show notes. Oh, we, we may even grab a picture and stick it in the show notes because I'm curious. That sounds amazing. Okay, so that's it's probably worth uh, mentioning with your subject matter. It's something that you started out as as a hobby, I'm assuming. And the only reason mm -hmm. you eventually considered this uh, a business is because uh, you didn't think, okay, I'm going to go, well, maybe you can tell me, were you actively looking for a, a business opportunity or did you just sort of stumble across the idea, maybe I can turn what I'm doing as a, an art craft hobby right now into a business? Like what was the, the thought process there? Uh, what happened was that I was so unhappy as a project manager, I pretty much woke up one morning from my you know, six-figure job at Google, and I realized that I hated my job. And I had reached that realization several times before, but I always thought that it was my boss, it was the boring project I was working on. Or it was, you know, it was the company or something. But, you know, I was working on a cutting edge technology at Google, which is about as cushy as it gets. And I was working and I liked my boss just fine. And so I finally was forced to confront the fact that I just hated my job. And that meant that I had to find something else to do or else face a life of being mediocre at my job and hating it for the next 20 years, which was not very appetizing. <laughs> wow. And so that made me realize that I had to find something else to do. And I had really wanted to be an artist and I saw no way to be an artist. And so I was looking around on the web and then I came across your blog mastermind program and I said, wow, I wonder if I could make a living teaching about weaving online because teaching in person just doesn't scale. It doesn't make any sense financially. But I was, I was reading through a program, I was getting more and more excited because this would was something that could make financial sense. And so this was something that really could lead to sort of financial freedom and being able to make a living as an artist while simultaneously being able to pay my mortgage. Yeah. And I thought that was wonderful. Let's keep the story going. So I, I haven't really mentioned this yet, but Tian is fresh from doing a campaign, a launch for her course. 
And I specifically wanted to speak to her around this point in time because she's had a, a great result and it's fresh in her mind and we can really pick her brain on, on what worked well. But I also want to put it into context too. So before we talk about you know your, your first ever launch, your, we'll break it down later, but it's certainly, I think, a, a great start. When you made this decision, whether it was you know coming across my course, which gave you even the the potential opening your eyes, okay, this this could actually happen. How did you plan though your your next steps? Were you thinking the the cold turkey method, quit my job, throw everything away, and then throw myself a hundred percent into my business, or do both at the same time? What was your strategy? Well, I quit my job because I was so unhappy at that particular point, and I happened to be lucky in well, sort of lucky in that. My mother actually passed away three days after I quit my job. And believe me, I would much rather have had my mother. But she left me enough money that I had some time to sort of think about my next steps. And so I had the buffer to create some space for myself. And also, I'm married and my spouse brings in enough income that we deliberately picked a house that was small enough that either of us could pay the mortgage. And so I, I was in a secure enough position that I could just go cold turkey. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's uh, not your, your typical reason why with, with um, well, the house, spouse part, yes, but uh, not the mother passing away. I'm sorry to hear that. Take us forward then. So you, you make this decision, you quit your job. You're already weaving by then, obviously. You're, you've already had this great result with your wedding dress becoming mm-hmm. a, an art piece in a museum or an art gallery. What do you do next? Like, I actually don't personally even know this. Did you just buy my course and follow it, or did you do some stuff first and then buy my course? What was the sort of chronology? Well, so I had started actually with a different idea than color and weaving. I had just finished writing a book about the creative process and craft, and so I bought your course and I decided to write to try doing a uh, business around the creative process and craft. And so I spent the first year or so trying to build a business around that. And I failed. And I failed because I think I was trying to solve a problem that everybody had, but nobody realized that they had. Mm. And in retrospect, trying to solve a problem that people don't know they have isn't useful mm-hmm. or it isn't, isn't a good business model because people have to know that they have a problem and want to have it solved. Yeah, it's good advice. And nobody, the thing is that everybody could improve their creative process and it would be of great value to them, but nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know, I think I'll go into the studio and improve my creative process. It's a bit and of so a... so they won't pay money for it. Right. It, it almost sounds fuzzy as well. Like, it's not like I've got this itch, I need to scratch. It's like, I'm just going to go explore. Right. Whereas if you go to most weavers, you know, a lot, there's a ton of weavers who will say, oh gosh, I'm a color idiot. And it's a burning need. It's a burning desire. When I published my first two blog posts, I went from, I think, f- maybe three, four or 500 people on my mailing list to 1,500 people in something like three days. Okay, let's, let's talk about this for a second because you were already talking about mailing lists and websites. So w- how did you set all that up? Was that all you doing it yourself or...? Um, that was just me. And what I did was I, I had a mailing list from my failed attempt at doing the creative process and craft. And I had a bit of following to start out with because I wrote a popular weaving blog just about my my own creative adventures. And I started by, and then I built a small mailing list around the creative process and craft. And I just rebooted my website, wrote up some stuff about the about color and weaving, wrote a small lead magnet about color and weaving. And then I wrote 
one or two blog posts about color and weaving, uh, specific topics that were, you know, according to the advice in Blog Mastermind, solving specific problems that people had about color and weaving. And I posted them to the four biggest Facebook groups about weaving, mm-hmm. which collectively have a membership of about 30,000 people. And the first blog post that I posted in in those groups and sent to my mailing list, my mailing list went from 500 people to 1,000 people literally within 24 hours. And within 72 hours, it was at 1,500 people. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it shows the power of actually choosing a, a problem that people have and, and knowing about it and then just really targeting it. I would like to just, this may sound a little bit basic, but there are listeners who are really starting from you know ground zero. Mm-hmm. Were you a technical person? You obviously worked at Google so you, you were, and you're a mathematician, mm-hmm. so you had some technical skills. But how hard was it for you to set up a blog and set up an, an email capture form, a landing page or whatever you had to do all this? So for me, it was really easy. I'm not afraid of technical things. I would say I'm intermediate. I work with software engineers. I'm not a software engineer myself. I set up WordPress. WordPress, you, anyone can set up in five minutes. Setting up the rest of the plugins and all of that is a little bit trickier. And then I would say that if you're reasonably smart and if you're not afraid, it's not that hard to set up. If you are the sort of person who computers hate, then you might consider hiring somebody to help you set things up. But I actually didn't have any trouble. It took me maybe three or four days of you know of focused work to get everything set up. Including the email list? Including the email list, I used ConvertKit, which is very simple and very visual to set up. Okay, so you're like a one-woman show then getting this whole tech business up and running. Yes. Fantastic, so that's very encouraging. Uh, So okay, so you sort of pivot your topic within the weaving world to color. You go and do some promotions on Facebook and it shows that you found a a spot where you might have uh, like a sweet spot for, for something, certainly to grow your list as a starting point. I'm kind of curious, though, with that list, what what were you actually offering? Was it just more content in general, or was it also specific, that newsletter? With the newsletter, it was basically, I was taking specific problems that people wanted solved. So my lead magnet was basically saying how to make sure that your pattern will show, how, how to know that your pattern will show by choosing the right colors. And so one of the problems that people have is... I picked these colors and now my pattern doesn't show anymore. And so I said, I'll show you how to pick colors so that your pattern will show every time. So interesting. I, I have no clue <laughs> the, yeah. how unique that is, but that is very unique. Um, and another problem that people have is I picked these bright colors and now my, but when I put them together and wove them into a piece of cloth, I wound up with mud. Help. What happened? Yeah, right. Everything turns to a groundy brown color when you mix them together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I wrote a blog post that said, here's how to avoid that. Interesting. Okay, so what did you do next once you realized you 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 know you had this nice big list growth? What was your your plan going forward? Well, I actually was dealing with uh, some personal stuff. I happened to be president of the board at a museum, and that wound up eating my life for about eight months. And so, I actually only published about eight or ten blog posts over the period of about eight months. But the thing is that they were very high quality blog posts about a topic that nobody else was writing about. And so over that period, my mailing list actually grew from 1,500 people to about 3,000 people, even though I was not publishing a whole lot of content. Now, I wouldn't recommend that approach. It would have been much better if I had been publishing content regularly. 
So I was developing content. I actually shot the video for my class and put everything together over a period of about four or five months between about, I would say, June and October, November of last year. Okay, so when you say class, obviously this is the product you decide to sell. Right. When you were distracted by you know the personal stuff going on in your life, and I remember this well because you were sort of popping in and out on our coaching calls and showing up inside the forums in right. the in the Laptop Lifestyle Academy, and it's like, oh, there's Tian. Oh, she's gone for a while. Oh, she's back again. Were you thinking in your mind uh, in that time? I've got to get back because I really want to release a product. Like, what was your motivation at that point? Uh, well, I mean, I needed to get to the point where I had income, and I was very frustrated because I, I saw that I could do great things with this, and I really felt that I could help a lot of people with this problem that they had because I I had this solution. This was a problem that had never been solved before, and I had an answer for this that I that I could distribute to a lot of people, and so I really wanted to help people out, and I knew I could make a living doing this. I just couldn't. I just had other responsibilities that I could not set aside at the time. Okay. So you were just like, I got to get a product out there because I know I have a need and I have an answer to that need. So what were you thinking though? Because I'm assuming this is the first time you ever sold an information product on the internet. So That's right. what were you thinking in terms of, you know, what do I put in it? How do I deliver it? The technical side, the teaching side, what, where were you at with that? And how did you teach yourself? So one of the things that you teach in Blog Mastermind is to come out with sort of the minimum viable product. And I come out of software, and so that's a very familiar idea for me. The idea that you come out with the smallest possible product that will solve people's problems. And so the idea is you come out to market as quickly as you possibly can with the smallest product that you possibly can, partly because that gets you to market faster and gets you revenue faster, and partly because whatever product you come out with is not going to be perfect the first time out. So you just get it out there, you get feedback on it, and then you rework it later. And so that was what I was thinking when I was creating my product. Get something that's good enough and get it out there as quickly as possible. And so I was just trying to create a basic class that would cover sort of the the smallest possible concepts. And so I decided to do that. I was going to do a basic class that would cover core concepts. I was going to shoot it as a series of slide decks and as a video. And then I was going to take that class and I was going to teach a workshop version of it and do what you suggested, which was to pre-sell it and then kind of write it as it, release it in chunks mm -hmm. and write it as I went. Such a good student, Ian. I love it. I love it. I love it. the entire role out there. That's fantastic. So, well, there's the plan. How did we execute this? So now might be a time to sort of look at the case study. So it must have been sort of mid 2018 when you're like, all right, let's let's get this going. You, you said those months, so that was when you were creating the course, or at least the first part of it. One thing before we look at the specifics of the launch, before you switched into marketing mode was anything set up like did you have a, a member area to deliver a course with a login sales page or a sales video like what was available what did you create to start doing the launch so i actually i was planning to set up on teachable as a platform i wound up going with switching to thinkific two weeks before launch which was crazy until then i basically just had a sign up here page so a placeholder landing page 
where people could sign up to, for early bird notification. And I actually wound up not using that. I wound up just announcing to my entire house list just because I had never announced anything before. When you say announced, what do you mean by announced? Well, I had never launched anything before. And so I just launched to my entire house list. I didn't use the early bird list. Oh, oh I didn't right, right. Separate announcement to my early bird list. When you list. say announcement, though, what do you mean? Like the actual, here's my product you can buy, or? I sent the entire launch email sequence to everybody. Okay, so the launch sequence is a series of emails, but you have to have things in place to even promote that, right? So what did you have even before the email sequence? Was there, because if they bought, was it just send them to Thinkific and away you go? Yes, I had set up landing pages on or car sales pages on Thinkific. Okay, so it is like really just a simple combination of your email list and Thinkific. That's all you really needed. Plus, obviously, your blog where you can put articles and things to help with the that's launch. Right. But that's it, right? Okay, very simple. All right, well, let's take us through. Would it be correct in saying, well, let me start with one thing, which I think was very cool because I remember when you talked about this in your reports to us in the Laptop Lifestyle Academy, you, you had this number. You said, I want to make a $20,000 launch. And I was really curious what brought you to that number specifically. Well, uh, I kind of pulled the number out of a hat, but I had a $99 product and I had a $300 product. And I said, if I can sell 100 of the $99 product, and I think I said, if I can sell 50 of the $300 product or something like that, and then if you take out the 3% and stuff like that, I forget the exact numbers, but it was basically something like that, then I can make $20,000, and I thought those numbers were achievable and kind of cool. You thought they were achievable because just the size of your audience, your email list at the time? Yeah, and those didn't strike me as being particularly large numbers. And I knew I had a fair number of fans who, you know, would and pent up demand. And honestly, I picked those numbers kind of out of a hat. Okay. I didn't know what the standard conversion rate was or anything like that. But, you know, I said 100 with a basics class. I think I can do that. Yeah, I think with the subject like, Weaving in color, it's it's hard to come up with a standard conversion rate because you don't have much to compare to, right? Right. When you started this launch, you, was it 15,000 subscribers on your email list that had come through from that sort of previous year of you writing those blog posts? Is that right? Oh, good Lord, no. I only had I had 3,000 subscribers. 3,000, okay. Three, okay, I overestimate. So you expected to kind of make 100 sales or 150 sales of a product from this 3,000-person email list. Not expected, you pulled this number out of your hat as a goal, anyway. From and I actually that. hit it pretty much right on the nose, which is amazing, because I found out afterwards that that was a huge conversion rate. Yeah, It, it was many times higher than, than I should have expected. For a 3,000 person starting point, yes, that is definitely a great result. Bearing in mind, of course, you know, like you said, it's bent up demand, a solid relationship. So, and it's not a subject area where I think they're probably subscribed to a lot of other newsletters. So, you're, you know, they don't have too many distractions. Right. Take us through things. So, you clearly said you had an email sequence. So, you obviously knew this idea of a sequence. What did you put into that? What was the plan with the emails? So I more or less followed the sequence that you outlined in Blog Mastermind. And I don't remember the exact set of emails, but basically I had one or two pre-sales emails where I was just letting people know that the cart was going to open and letting them know what was coming in the class. And then I had a couple of emails that were telling them about bonuses. I had a couple of emails that were dealing with objections later on. I didn't have bonuses that I could offer them that were related to the class just because I hadn't had time to develop them 
my own bonuses. So what I did was I got a couple of vendors to offer bonuses like gift certificates. And I got another vendor to offer a free subscription in exchange for my plugging them on their mailing list. Mm, That's a great idea. And that was great because it was also an endorsement by that vendor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. I noticed you didn't sort of mention any kind of pre-selling education in that sequence. Like, did you feel you didn't need to kind of put any lessons out as part of the launch? You just went straight into the offer for the product? Or what was the the thinking there? I just didn't have time, honestly. (laughs) I think I sent out one blog post beforehand, but I was just so pressed for time that I didn't I didn't really get a chance to do that. Okay. And how many how long was the campaign all said and done? Ten days. And If I had had it to go back and do again, I probably would have shortened that a little bit, but I wasn't sure at that particular point. It was hard to keep up energy for for 10 days straight. Yeah, I mean, it depends what you're selling, but at at your price point, I think that's, yeah, that's a smart idea. Maybe a week would be appropriate. Okay, interesting. So now did you write these emails on the fly or did you sort of pre-write them and then send it as you, you know, each went through the 10 days or was it really just like reacting to the way people were interacting? I wrote them on the fly because I didn't have time to rewrite them. <laughs> Why are you the so busy, The problem that I was having was I was trying to get them all out before. I think I was trying to get them out before, after Black Friday, but before we really ha- hit the height of the Christmas season. Right. Yeah, you'd picked a busy time to do a campaign, that's for sure. I remember you right. you and Kathy were both doing Christmas launches. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure, why not? It can be a benefit, though, because people might buy it as a gift, right? Well, I was trying to actually avoid it, but I had to get it out. It was basically, I either had to get it out right then or else I had to wait until January. And I didn't, you know, and not just January, but like mid-January, so because people would be exhausted after Christmas. Now, I'm curious, emotionally, before you went into this launch, how did you feel? Like, What were you expecting about this whole experience? It's the first time to sell a digital product of your own creation. That's a pretty big moment for you know, a, t- a new teacher. Oh, yeah. I was terrified. Excited, but also terrified because this was the moment, you know, it's like opening night, right? This is the moment where you find out whether the play that you've been rehearsing for the last eight months is going to bomb or not. And there's just no way. And you know you've been rehearsing it, and you know you've been rehearsing it, and you know it's really, really good. But at the same time, you really just don't know how the audience is going to react. So tell me how it felt then when you sent that email for the first time that included the checkout page to buy the product. How did you feel sending that? You know, it was one of those things where you feel like, oh my God, everyone is really going to hate me this time because... (laughs) I'm finally asking people to buy things. Right. Then the sales thing started coming in. And I forget, but I sold I sold several thousand dollars in just the first couple hours. And I wasn't quite jumping up and down and screaming, but internally I was jumping up and down and screaming. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, people are buying this. <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. I think you never get you know, a better moment than that first time, actually. So I hope you cherished it. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's more validation, not just the money. I think just, oh, wow, people will pay to learn from me. That That is such a good moment. You know, at the moment where I, where I crossed the $10,000 mark, I was like, oh my God, I can make a living at this. 
an equally good moment. Yes, definitely yes. a big one. The first five-figure sale. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit just for the benefit of the listener because they might be about to do their first launch or, or planning to in this. 10 day campaign you did. What do you feel worked the best for you? Cause you, you know, you obviously saw the sales come in. So what were the best marketing techniques that worked for you? Oddly enough, the, the best thing that I did turned out to be something that I did sort of on the spur of the moment at the very last minute, which was to take about 15% of the class and pull it out into a mini course, a free mini course. And I just gave that away. And the thing is that there was a lot of really good content in the mini course, more than people were expecting. And so I had a thousand people register for the mini course. People were sharing it right and left. But the thing is that 16% of the people who registered for the mini course went on to buy the full course. Mm. And that was an incredible conversion rate. Yeah, it's amazing. You got a thousand people to subscribe or sign up for a mini course of 3,000 subscribers. That's 30%. So, Well, the thing is, I posted it in all the Facebook groups. And so a lot of people who weren't subscribers signed up for the mini course. Right, right. Which is kind of ties back to that question I asked you earlier. Like, was there any pre-release content? Like, was there teaching content before you hit the sales content? So it shows, I guess... I think I, I posted a blog post or two before, right. before that. But if you led with, let's say, like, you know, in hindsight now, you especially know that this sort of a mini course does so well as a sales tool. You know, it's, it's like, you know, I, I have a video, free video course leading into Blog Mastermind. So that idea of giving some of your best teaching content up front, then making the offer through that content you would say that worked mm -hmm. the best for you as well based on just this one campaign. Yes, and I'm definitely planning on doing something like that again. There's actually two things that I'm doing for the next for the next round. One is that I'm creating a I've created a very very useful color mixing tool for weavers and I'm planning on releasing that to increase my mailing list mm -hmm. two or three weeks before I do the next launch mm -hmm. just to generate more traffic. And then I'm also planning on revamping my mini course and making it more useful. And I'm planning on doing a much a low priced class okay. as a feeder into my my higher price classes. Well, I'm looking forward to following those results. I know you'll report them to us in the academy. Oh, of course. I'd love to ask in terms of still sticking with this this campaign. I talk a little bit about some marketing triggers, uh, you know, some some techniques basically, things like authority where you represent either, you know, you've been featured in a magazine or a newspaper or a TV show, radio, etc. In your case, did you make use of authority? I'm thinking maybe the fact that your wedding dress was in an art gallery was one piece of authority that people probably knew about you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I've, I have a ton of authority because I've written a whole bunch of articles for weaving magazines and I've been in a lot of shows. I've actually juried some shows. So I came in with a lot of authority. Did you mention it in the campaign in any way? You know, I'm not sure I did. <laughs> I probably should have. Write that down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, it, I didn't mention it in the campaign. It's in the about page. You know, I come to think of it, I probably should have. I assume that everybody knew about me because well, when not. I go to conferences and something like that, I'm a bit of a celebrity. But if they're in their Facebook group and they're new to you, they may not. So that would be you know, a good way to introduce you. Um, what about scarcity, a deadline or some sort of limited offer? Was Did you use that Oh, trigger? definitely. Well, one of the things I did was I told people that the first 10 people to sign to 
by the class on this particular day would get a gift certificate. And so I was creating scarcity that way. And the other thing I said was that this round of classes, people would get an introductory discount. If you didn't buy during the launch, then the price would go up after the launch for the basics class, which was evergreen. And then for the workshop class, of course, the registration would be closing because Mm -hmm. I was teaching that one live. Now, I'm sure you heard me say many times before that you can expect somewhere between 50% to 100% of your sales come through in the final 24 hours if you have a hard deadline, especially after that email goes out, that sort of final 24-hour email. Did, did you have that kind of experience with a, a bunch of sales last minute? I think I had about a 25% boost in the last, on the last day. It wasn't, that, it wasn't actually that high. But I had had huge numbers before that. Mm, okay. So still must be exciting to even just to get twenty five percent more in that final day. It's just watching the sales oh, come yeah. through. Yeah. Just watching the numbers come through was amazing because you know, frankly, twenty five thousand dollars. That's how much I could have expected to make in a year teaching in person, probably. And you you did it in ten days, so. And I did it in 10 days. Yeah, fantastic. So looking back over that whole campaign, what would you do differently as advice for the listener who might be you know, about to do their first ever launch? I think I would have shortened it for sure. And I think I would have given myself more time to prep for it. I switched platforms two weeks before launch, which I don't regret having done it because I think Thinkific is a much better platform than Teachable. But holy cow, did that make for a a really stressed out time setting up on the platform. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that was absolutely insane. I I did it. And uh, Thinkific provided excellent support the entire way. And it was a nice, easy platform to set up on. I can't say enough good things about them. But mm. I would definitely have given myself more time and less of a hard deadline to to set up the launch. So if we look back on everything you've done so far, including the blog and the articles you've written, mm-hmm. the email newsletter you've, you've grown, the marketing you've done in, in Facebook groups and any other form of marketing you've done, the, the, the mini course you gave away and, and the entire campaign, and, and, and the product itself that you sold, you know, everything you've done up to this point, I'm really curious what proportion of that or, or in terms of your overall strategy and even just your understanding, how much did you come into it already feeling like you knew and versus how much did you have to learn, whether it was you know, through my course, Blog Mastermind, or even just watching other people you know, sell digital products? Like, Where did the knowledge come from for you? I knew pretty much nothing coming in. I would say that I learned... Probably about, in terms of the internet marketing part, I learned pretty much all of it from Blog Mastermind or from the Academy. I learned some of it from other people on the web. Uh, I listened a lot to Amy Porterfield's podcast. and But like the vast majority of it I learned from Blog Mastermind or your coaching sessions or from the Academy. What for you is the biggest aha moment? Like since you're learning something so new, you know, you came from a, a Google engineering slash mathematics and then color weaving artistic creative endeavor, and then you're learning marketing and strategy and selling. What what was so surprising or maybe interesting to you entering that field that you discovered? Oh gosh, everything. I think the biggest thing that I realized is that you have to be consistent about going out and talking to people. Not that I was very consistent at all, but I would say that the two things that are really 
important are, one, you have to solve a problem that people know they have. The first business that I tried was solving a problem that people didn't know they had, and that just didn't work. And then the next business that I tried, the one that actually did work, was solving a problem that people really knew that they had and that nobody else was offering a solution to. And that was such a powerful thing that despite the fact that I was totally inconsistent about putting out content, I was successful anyway, despite all my other flaws. And so if I had been, I just keep thinking if I had been putting out content regularly, how much more successful could I have been? Mm, for sure. <laughs> and then I think the other thing that really is important is being out there consistently and building your own personal brand. And that's my next thing, being much more consistent, being much more personal. My articles right now are fairly technical, but I haven't built a personal rapport with my audience. And that's sort of my big next thing. Mm, I was going to ask you about writing. Were you a writer before this or not? I've always been a writer. I've been blogging for almost 20 years now. And before that, I used to write long letters. So I was basically blogging before blogging was even a thing. And like I said, I've written a book and I've written a lot of magazine articles and so on. So so blogging comes naturally to me. Shooting video is something that I want to get more into because people are visual, but it does not come naturally to me. Especially your subject is very visual. Yes, so I'm actually working right now on getting somebody to help me set up a audio isolation stuff so I can shoot more video. And so my next class is going to involve a lot more of that, mm. but I'm not looking forward to doing the video editing. <laughs> You'd rather be the writer. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the future, uh, obviously you sound like you're planning on upping your game a bit with video. What do you plan on doing for you know reaching new people? What's your marketing strategy going forward? So I'm definitely planning to continue writing blog posts because that, I think, I have really good SEO. Even with my sort of miserably small blog post content, uh, I've only written about 10 or maybe 10 or 11 blog posts. I'm ranking in the top 10 in pretty much every permutation of color and weaving. Why is that, you think, Tian? Like, what have, what have you done for the SEO side of things that's got you ranked so well? Because that's not a lot of content. It's pretty amazing. I am careful about my keywords and I have the Yoast SEO plugin and I follow its advice. And number two, nobody else is really in this niche and writing quality content for this niche. So I picked my niche very carefully as something for which there is a burning need and for which nobody else is writing content. And I think that that's going to be hard for maybe for other people to find. Mm. But I think if you find that right niche, then you can really, like I say, there's riches in niches. Mm-hmm. But so I think I have the SEO side kind of covered, but I also feel that I'm kind of at the limit of what I can do with natural SEO and natural sort of Facebook. My last couple of posts in the Facebook groups didn't actually get me any more subscribers. And so what I'm going to work on next is experimenting with Facebook ads. But with Facebook ads, there are different ways to use Facebook ads. You can use Facebook ads to drive traffic to your site, but you can also use Facebook ads to retarget people who have bought from you or who have visited your website or any of a number of other things. And so my big plans for the summer are to, one, revamp my product line and so revamp my classes and then to figure out how to use Facebook ads to drive traffic to my website and build my mailing list that way and to use it to sell my classes more effectively. And do you plan on creating more product in the future as well? 
Oh, definitely. I'm planning on expanding my product line. And also, right now I have two monolithic products, and I'm planning on splitting it up into one introductory product that leads into a number of smaller, more focused products. And the reason I'm doing that is because I think it will be easier for me to sell small focused products than it will be to sell sort of large products just because of the way that the culture of my niche runs. Mm. People, you know, weavers are not trying to make huge amounts of money. With Blog Mastermind, you've got people who are trying to make a living and so they're willing to pay more for the product. With weaving, it tends to be a hobby thing and so people are not going to pay $1,000 to learn all about color and weaving they're more likely to pay $50 to learn about a small slice of it. Mm. They might pay $300 to learn about a big chunk of it, but they're probably not going to pay five dollars or $700 for the in-depth version. Right. So you're more likely to have maybe the $300 flagship course, so to speak, and then a whole bunch of under $50 very niche products, uh, maybe short videos or eBooks or or things like that. Right. So what I might do is have a set of, say, $59 or $69 classes, and then I might bundle them together into a $300 class. Ah, very good. Yeah. Or I might have a $59 class associated with a $200 workshop class. That's a short, you know, two week thing. Right. I've noticed that is a similar structure that a lot of uh, photography related information teaching type businesses they have a similar idea where you know you've got that ebook on night photography or portrait photography or or children or weddings or whatever and yeah then they sell the bundle if you want to get everything in one package at a discount so i think that makes a lot of sense for these sort of hobbyist creative subjects which frankly the probably bigger audiences than we realize if you really look at all the hobbies around the world that people are into. They're all niches, but they all have a fairly solid following. So I think there's a real opportunity for more teens out there to do their thing in whatever specialty craft or hobby that you know you're into. Tian, let's start to wrap this up. So it's a great story. I feel like we've only just really started your story. You know, it's your first campaign. You aimed for twenty thousand. You hit the twenty five thousand dollar mark to go past your goal. I'm sure you're going to aim for bigger with with your next campaign and, and obviously do everything you're doing and continue to do it better. Is there any advice you'd pass on for the listener who has never sold a product yet and is thinking in their mind, you know, I do have this hobby that I might be able to turn into a business or I do have this knowledge or this skill set that I could do what Tian did, you know, a bit of blogging, a bit of Facebook marketing, going into groups and, you know, being part of the community, growing an email list and then putting a product out there. Given you've gone through that whole journey now over the last couple of years and you've been blogging for a while, what would you say to that new person is the most important thing or maybe top three things that they really learn to get right? You know, the areas where they probably don't have enough knowledge and resources that they need to get on top of to start doing this and getting the result they want. Well, there's a couple of things I want to say. One is I want to do the math for you. If you are teaching for a guild or for somebody else and they're paying you $500 a day for two days and you have 10 students and they're charging $200 per student, then they're getting a total $2,000 per day. So they're getting $4,000 and you're getting $500 per day. So you're getting $1,000 and they're getting $4,000. And then you have to travel on one day for either side, so you're really getting $1,000 for four days or 250 bucks a day. 
if you are selling the class directly, then you are getting $4,000 and you don't have to get on a plane. And on top of that, you don't actually have to spend two days teaching because you're teaching online. So that's a much better value proposition and you can actually make a living that way. So I just want to encourage you to think about doing that. In terms of what the most important thing is, I would say think of it as marketing yourself. Uh, the hardest part, I would say, is the marketing. And so the most important thing is to show up and be consistent. It's not the technical parts. The technical parts you can either do yourself or hire someone to do, but just getting out there and writing to people, getting over the fear of putting yourself out there and the, oh my God, everybody is going to hate me. Just get out there and do it. You won't do it right the first time, but just getting out there and doing it, doing it wrong the first time, and then going back and getting up and doing it again and doing it better the next time. I think that's the most important thing. Mm, good advice. And thank you so much for breaking down those numbers. I'm sure the, uh, the arts and crafts teachers of the world can very much uh, concur and think about that and go, oh yeah, you're right. The value proposition is just not there. I need to have a, a digital asset that can sell without me working. And, and that's what you've demonstrated. And also the fears. You're, I think you're spot on. That's probably the hardest thing for most non-marketing background or salespeople to get over is this idea that I, I actually have to talk in public not really in public in the real world, in public on the internet perhaps, about what you're passionate about and be prepared to open yourself up. And yes, there probably will be bad comments that you don't like. And it, you know, there's some moments where you go, why am I doing this? It's, I feel overexposed. But then you get that moment where you know, someone writes an email and says, I love what you're doing and thank you for your product or your free information or whatever. And that's an amazing moment. And you get way more of those long term than you do the, you know, the not so fun comments and so on. Tian, warpandweave.com obviously is the main website. Now you said you also have uh, com as your sort of personal blog. So those are the two main websites we should go to to check out your work. That's right. Okay, so we'll put those in the show notes in case you want to check out uh, anything Teen is doing. I do recommend you check out Warp and Weave just so you can see it's not a complicated website. You know, it is, it's what Teen does. She teaches how to warp and weave, <laughs> how to do color weaving. And you can see examples and you can see her class that she sells. And, you know, ask yourself, could I do something like what Teen is doing and, uh, you know, start an online business? I think that's a, a really motivational uh, question to ask when you see someone doing what you're doing in your niche. Tian, I'm looking forward, as always, to see your reports and your constant uh, feedback inside our academy and see how things go, especially with the, the next product launch. And, and I know you've been planning that division of your, your products. And other than that, just keep up the great work. And thanks for being a contributor to the community and being so vocal with your process. I think it, it helps a lot. And I love seeing it, too. Thanks, Yarrow. And thank you for Blog Mastermind and for the academy. It's made a huge difference in my life. That's great to hear. And thank everyone for listening in. I used to do customer service myself entirely through email. And at first, I really loved it. I was replying to potential customers and current customers, answering their questions, convincing them to buy from my business. And it was fun. But then eventually, I started to get a little overrun with a lot of queries. A lot of people you know, asking me about my products and services, whether it's right for them. And then a lot of technical issues would come in like, you know, a link is not working on my website or how do they access this resource? Or you know, where can they download that? Or they can't open 
in a PDF. And these kind of emails kept coming in day after day. And eventually, the more successful I got, the more of these emails I got. And I got really tired of replying to the same questions over and over again. Now, I knew that I could start building, you know, template replies to answer the most common queries, which I did. But I very quickly became overrun with this job. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have to spend three hours just replying to messages. And, you know, there were a lot of important messages in there, a lot of potential customers I could be losing if I don't reply to those emails with a good, thorough, carefully crafted email to give them the information they need. So I was concerned if I stopped doing this, my business is not going to work, yet I'm getting less and less time in my life to do anything else other than email. So that's the day I realized I needed to bring on someone else to help me with this very important customer service role, handling the email in my business. And that's why I'm so excited today to introduce you to a new sponsor of this podcast, InboxDone.com, which is a service where you can bring on board a person to take over email in your business and your life. I want to highlight how important that is to bring on a person who can take over customer service in your business, in particular, email customer service. So if anything I said there resonated with your current situation, with how you deal with email, you know, you're getting a lot of those kind of queries and you're feeling like you're potentially missing out on business or you're not doing as good a job as you could dealing with really important queries from people who potentially want to buy from you or even current customers who have bought from you or the more mundane queries like I can't open this PDF or this link gave me a 404. I can't find this resource kind of emails. They're boring, but it's important you've got someone who's answering those questions and not only answering them, but building systems, creating templates and automatic sequences of emails that chase up potential customers or deal with potential refunds, processes to really deliver exceptional customer service. And all of this can be happening without you being the person delivering those emails or writing those emails or creating those templates. Certainly not the person who logs in every day and puts in all this time to deal with something that is never going to end. You're always going to get email as long as you have a successful business. And in fact, you're only going to get more and more as you become more and more successful. So I recommend if this is your situation, you check out the inboxdone.com service and hire someone who can essentially become your entire customer support team just by hiring this one person from Inbox Done to take over email in your business. Now, it can do a lot more than that for you, but I recommend to find out all the details, just go to inboxdone.com, check out the website, and you'll find an application form there where you can apply for your very own email inbox manager who could take over customer service in your business, which would potentially can change your life. You can take this completely off your plate and go to sleep relaxed, stress-free, knowing that customer service is being handled by a dedicated person whose job is to deal with those emails every day for you. That's inboxdone.com. Go check them out. Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.